Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Matthew chapter 24 says this, Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all of this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but do not panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nations will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. 2,000 years ago, people were asking the same question we are, right? When is the end coming? Is it near? And Jesus said, I'm going to remind you, this is going to be a lot like birth pains, contractions that you have. Moms, if you've given birth, you understand this visual much better than us. But the closer you get to the birth, the closer and the more intense those contractions will come. And Jesus says, be prepared Because the intensity of wars against nations and earthquakes and things will grow in their intensity and grow in their closeness together the sooner to when the Lord will return. And so when we have events like they've been happening around our world, specifically in the Middle East, all of a sudden it begins to raise questions and thoughts of ours. Are we in the end times? How soon is it? And all of these things. So we do what everyone does. We go to YouTube to try to figure it out, right? And uh, so if you go on YouTube, you know the theories are all over the place, right? World War III is about to take place. Iran is just ready to attack us, right? The rapture is going to happen at the end of this month, so quit paying on your school bills as you go. Uh, the University of Missouri has put out a thesis called Aliens in the Apocalypse, Christian End Times in the Alien Conspiracy Theories. Thank you, University of Missouri, as they go there, right? Um, here's different things like that. Uh, Christian End Times that we have, uh, the flawless red cow in 2018 was born, right? We're just waiting for the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, a video was caught of a serpent slithering out of the wailing wall with a dove in its mouth, which is indication that the ends will come. You get the idea. We are looking for any kinds of signs that we must have. We have this new interest, especially when things center right around Israel. And as we think about these events, for some of us, they're exciting. Anticipation is growing, and there's an expectancy in your heart. For some of you, there's feelings of anxiety and even fear of what could come. May I just say to you, both those emotions are extremely valid, excitement, anticipation, fear that can come with that. And so in our time this morning, what I'd like to do in in our minutes that we have is just to give us some historical, biblical context for this conflict with Israel that dates all the way back to the book of Genesis. And then we're going to skip all the way to the end of the story and see God's end plan for the nation of Israel and his deliverance there. So we're going to jump in a big section in the middle we're going to miss this morning. So can I just encourage you, uh, if you go to lexcity.info, we've got a link to the series I preached on Revelations about a year and a half ago or so that really will tie in and connect the dots with some of the things. But what we're going to talk about this morning really creates the context for that whole understanding. And so again, lexcity.info, all of them are there. So let's talk a little bit about this conflict, especially with Hamas in, in, in Israel. And where did it all begin, and how do we need to think about this? What all began in the Old Testament with a man named Abram, or we may know him as Abraham. 
Joshua 24 tells us that Abram was born in a pagan land of a pagan father and mother. And this becomes really important because God did not choose Abraham or Abram because he was living a God-honoring life, because he followed all the law and did the teachings of God. Uh, No, God chose him. And because God chose him, Abraham became a man of influence and lived a godly life and honored God in a significant way, right? This is important to understand. Here's the thing. Was Abraham born a Jew or a Gentile? Interesting. Abraham was born a Gentile in a pagan land, but God chose him to become the father of the Jewish people. Abraham was chosen, elected, called, predestined, uh, saved for a life of significance. Here's what I want you to know today. God did not choose Abraham because he was living a life of significance. He began to live a life of significance after he was chosen by God. You see the difference there? This really plays into the context. It's important to understand, especially when you think about the nation of Israel. God did not choose the nation of Israel because they were special, without fault, or sinless and blameless people of significance. God chose the nation of Israel, and so they became significant based on their choosing. They weren't chosen because they were significant. Again, do you see the difference that's there? And that becomes really important. There is no 100% perfect people or actions of a nation or actions of a nation saved. God chose in his sovereignty. So he chose Abram, or Abraham, a pagan Gentile, and asked him to leave his father and his mother and his nation and go to a land that he would show him. This land that Abraham is going to go to is so significant because for 4,000 years we have been battling. It's been a point of contention for who will hold this land in these sacred places. It remains a place of conflict, and I just tell you this, it will remain in that conflict until the day that the Lord returns. So Abram, in obedience to God, leaves all that he knows, journeys and sojourneys to this place. And because he was obedient to God, God makes a covenant with him, and we call that covenant the Abrahamic covenant, all right? Now, I want to take a moment and talk about covenants because how you understand what I'm going to share with you today in the book of Genesis really impacts how you interpret so much of the rest of Scripture. It certainly helps make a difference on how you interpret what's going to happen in the book of Revelation and in end times. So we want to talk about this idea of what is a covenant. So let me just define it this way. Covenant is agreement between two parties, two basic kinds of covenants, right? There's a conditional covenant and an unconditional covenant. I'm going to connect these dots, so hang with me there, right? A conditional covenant, right, is an agreement that is binding in both parties for it in order to be fulfilled. Both parties agree to certain conditions, and once they agree with them, if either party fails to meet their responsibilities, the covenant is broken, and neither party has to fulfill the expectations of the covenant, right? Conditional. Two parties, both have to fulfill their sides. If one breaks it, the whole thing's off. Unconditional covenant is an agreement between two parties, but only one of the two parties has to do something. Nothing is required of the other party. See the difference here? So unconditional, only one party has to do things. They are the only ones that it's determined by. The other party is irrelevant to the process. So what kind of covenant, this is key, is the Abrahamic covenant all the way back in the book of Genesis? Because the answer to that question is really going to affect how you view and interpret really much of the rest of Scripture. 
It's going to help you understand how does God deal with Israel? How does God deal with the New Testament church? Is it the same? Is it different? All that comes back to that. How can we think about the wars in the Holy Land different than other global conflicts that are going on? It comes back to your understanding of this covenant. How do we feel about being in a country who publicly says we stand with Israel? We're going to see again. Genesis gives us some insight into that. So if you've got your Bibles, that's where we're going to go today in our time. This will be great. Genesis chapter 15, turn there. While you're going there again, all the notes are on lexcity.info. If you scroll down there, you're going to find the, the, the link again to that Revelation series, which really will help continue to put some context. Let's jump in. Genesis chapter 15. But he said, O Lord, it's Abraham, how am I to know that I shall possess it, being the land? And he said to him, bring me a heifer, three years of old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all of these, and he cut them in half, and he laid half over against the other. Cultural context to help you understand what's happening in this ceremony. Uh, so when you cut an animal in half, all right, you would lay them back to back, and then both parties would walk through the center of these two, of these animals that have been cut in half. And it's to signify this, that if either one of you breaks the covenant, you are guilty to the point of death, just like these animals who were sacrificed on your behalf. A blood oath, that's terms. So you split them up, put them both sides, both parties walk through, and now we have a covenant that's here. The problem is, <clears throat> this is not what happens in Genesis chapter 15. Typically, that would have been what happened. But let's go back to Genesis 15 and read what happens. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firing pot and the flaming torch, representing the Spirit of God, passes between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Significance, only God passes through the sacrifice. What's Abraham doing? Abraham is sleeping in the back. So does this make this a covenant, a conditional covenant, or an unconditional covenant? It is a unconditional covenant, right? And the importance is here because the promise is totally dependent only on one party because only God walked through the center of the sacrifice. Significant for us to keep in mind, right? So this is a unconditional covenant because only one of the parties passed through, and so everything that keeps the covenant is dependent only on the party who passed through. God says to Abram, I'm going to make you a covenant. You're sleeping. This is about me, will be fulfilled through me and for me. I'm the, the one that matters. All right, so an unconditional. Let's continue on. Verse 12. This is the Abrahamic covenant now, so read it in that context. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12, Abraham had come. Three things are promised. Land, lineage, and Lord. Let me define those three for you. Land, the promised land, that this is the land that you will possess, all right? Significant. Mentioned over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, the promised land. 700 times in the New Testament, the promised land is, is mentioned. The promised land, in modern context, uh, let me give you what it looks geographic for us today. In, in the modern day, it includes Israel, 
including the Gaza and the West Bank and Jordan, as well as parts of Egypt and Syria, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq. That is the land that was promised to Abraham at this time. Lineage. The lineage is this, that Abraham will have a son, and from that son will come a nation. We know that nation today as the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, right? That's the lineage part. And the third part is Lord, that out of this lineage, there would come the Messiah, the fulfiller of Jewish prophecy, the fulfiller of the law, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be the Lord and Savior of the world, and he would come out of that. So three promises, land. This is the land you will possess. Out of that land will come a great nation, your lineage. Out of that lineage will come the Lord. This is important for us to understand because Satan understood exactly what this Abrahamic covenant meant. And for the rest of human history, until the very end, Satan is going to fight against these three things, the promise of land, lineage, and Lord. And we'll see it over and over. From the very moment from Genesis 12, this became the thing. So here's a big thought for you this morning. What God creates, Satan counterfeits. Okay? What God creates, Satan counterfeits. We'll see it over and over and over through Scripture. But when it comes to this covenant, it's going to really play itself out. Certainly going to be true here. So let's go back to the story. At this point, Abraham and his wife have grown old, they have not produced children yet, and uh, this covenant seems like it's not going to happen. How am I going to be the father of nations? I can't even father a son or a child at this time. So they do what we do so many times. They take an unconditional covenant that was made with God that they don't have any part in doing, right? And all of a sudden, they interject themselves into the process, God, I know you made a covenant, but you're not quite getting it, so we're going to kind of help you along, and we interject themselves. What could possibly go wrong with this kind of a plan, right? Genesis 16, now we look. Now, Sari, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sari said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. (laughs) Not a great choice there. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. So Hagar, now the pagan Egyptian servant, produces a son. Shocker, this creates some drama. Like, where did this seem like a good idea that this would not be a problem, right? And so Sari becomes jealous. She becomes despiteful towards uh, Hagar. And so she begins to treat her poorly. And she treats her so poorly that she actually runs her out of the house and out of the area. And so Hagar is now fleeing. She's actually on her way to Egypt. And while she is fleeing there, God appears to her in verse 7. Then the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness the spring on the way to Shur, and said to her, Hagar, servant of Sari, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sari. The angel of the Lord had said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Now notice a couple things. God refers to Sarah, uh, to Hagar as the mistress, all right? He's reminding me again, this is not sanctioned by me. 
This was not my will or my desire for your preferred future. This is something that you have created. Verse 10, then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The Lord says, listen, I've heard of your injustice. I've heard of your affliction and I'm gonna honor that. And so you will produce a son. Now think about what God creates, Satan counterfeits. You're going to create a son, and he's going to produce a multitude of offspring. Ishmael became the father of the Arab nation. Today, 464 million people are a part of the Arab world. But the Lord says, listen, this son that you're going to bear, who will produce a multitude, a nation, was also born out of disobedience. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about this son that Ishmael will produce in the generations to come. Verse 12. And he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. Ishmael's descendants, he says, listen, will be men of conflict. They will live in conflict their entire days. So it should not surprise us why we are seeing generational conflicts in the Middle East. Genesis 12 says this is, this is what will be produced by this offspring. He'll be a man of conflict with everyone, and everyone conflict with him. It goes on uh, to say this. Now back to this principle. God creates Satan counterfeits. Sarah eventually has a son, and his name is Isaac. And Isaac has 12 sons, and they become the nation of Israel. Here's the counterfeit. Hagar has a son, and his name is Ishmael. Ishmael goes on to have 12 grandsons that are there, and they become the Arab world. Now, the Arab world is predominantly Muslim, and the teachings of Islam are what permeate this. Not all Arabs are Muslim, but that's where that originates from that's there. So can you see this conflict? We, we have Abraham, two wives, 12 sons or grandchildren that are offspring in one covenant. So the obvious question is, that has been from the beginning of time, is who fulfills the covenant? Who gets the land? Where will the lineage grow from? Who will create a nation? And thirdly, out of that nation, where will the Savior of the world, the Lord, come from? Can you understand why this conflict between these two people has gone on for generations? This is as deep as it possibly can be. Which one of these two will God choose, and which one will God reject? Significant. Genesis chapter 22 goes on to give more story to explain who God has chosen and says is the valid lineage and the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. God tells a story of, of Abraham uh, found in, in Genesis chapter 22. And you may be familiar with the story. Abraham brings his son Isaac, his, his only son, the, the son of promise, this miraculous birth, this child that was here. And in Genesis 22, says this, that he's going to take him to sacrifice him to the Lord. Now, remember the context of Genesis chapter 22. At this point, Isaac's a full-grown man. Abraham is old in, in years that have gone on. And the events that we're going to see in Genesis chapter 22 are a foreshadowing of the sacrifice that Jesus is going to make on the cross on behalf of mankind. Isaac, grown man, we're told this, that he was carrying wood on his back. 
the wood that would be laid to make the altar that he would willingly lay down his life for the sake of his father. Abraham, remember this, neither tricked his son nor physically forced his son to be laid on the altar. He's a grown man. Isaac, by faith and obedience, chose to be the sacrifice. And at that moment, if you're familiar with the story, when Abraham lifts the knife to sacrifice his son and to be obedient to what God asked him to do, at the very moment of that, then the angel of the Lord appears to him and affirms and validates the faith of Abraham and says to him, listen, because of these things, because of this, I'm going to make a covenant and bless you in such a way. At this very moment and region, this will become a place of blessing. This is the same region that Jesus at one point will carry a wooden cross on his back, who will willingly lay down and sacrifice his life in the honor of his father and what God has called him to do. But again, what God creates, Satan counterfeits. 2,000 years later, there was a man named Muhammad, and Muhammad shares of a time that he was visited in a dream by a spirit. So our discernment must be, is the spirit that visited Muhammad a spirit a good spirit or a true spirit or a false spirit? Is it an angel? Is it a demon, right? That's what we need to discern. What is it that created these dreams? Well, if you remember a few weeks back, we talked about in that Romans road, the power of the gospel. And this is what God says how we should determine as we think about is the gospel true or not, what's being preached. Galatians 1.8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In other words, if the teaching, if the vision is contrary to what the word of God says, then I'm telling you that is not a true spirit. That person should be accursed. Well, the false spirit speaks to Muhammad in the dream and tells him, listen, you need to start a new religion because the Hebrew scriptures are wrong. God actually chose Hagar and not Sarah. Ishmael and not Isaac is the start of the lineage. In fact, the teachings of Muhammad go on so far as to take the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 2 and replace Isaac with Ishmael. Think about this. So Abraham took Ishmael to the altar, and Ishmael was the one that laid down to be the sacrifice, and God worked in such a way. So the lineage is going to again come not from the descendants of Isaac, but from the descendants of Ishmael. That the, the Lord will now, the Savior of the world, will now not come through the lineage of the Jewish people, but the lineage of the Arab world. By this, the covenant of land and lineage and Lord, the Lord will now be Allah, not Jesus, who will save the world. Let me just give you a chart to kind of help, maybe visually help. Make. So here's, this is the crux of everything you're seeing now in the Middle East. It all began here. Abrahamic covenant. Two ways. Hagar and Sarah. If the Abrahamic covenant of land, lineage, and Lord comes through Sarah, then it's Isaac, the prophet will be Moses, comes Jesus, out of there comes Christianity or modern Judaism. If Hagar is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, then Ishmael is the one, the lineage will come out, the prophet will be Muhammad, and the Lord will be Allah, and he will come through the Islamic religion. You see the crux? 
The two things are here are so powerful. So now you can understand why what we're dealing in the Middle East is not a political issue. Sanctions and political things will not impact this. We are not fighting for land or resources. This is a deeply spiritual battle that's gone on for generations. It's not simply just a battle of flesh and blood, but it is of spiritual forces. Because if Satan can deny the land, the lineage, or the Lord, the Abrahamic covenant will not be fulfilled and Jesus won't return for his church, right? So as we think about that, let me give you just a couple thoughts, modern day, before we kind of run to the end of this. Things I think that we can be thinking about uh, as we see the things before us unfold. What makes this potentially conflict a little bit more significant than things we have seen historically in the past? Because there's been conflicts in the Middle East all this time. Certainly since Israel became a nation, it heightens our intensity of paying attention. But listen, on, on the Saturday when Hamas attacked, it was the 50th anniversary of, of the Yom Kippur War that was there. On that day, right, over 3,500 3, rockets were from Gaza, from Gaza into Jerusalem. Armed terrorists, right, killed men, women, and children in some of the most unbelievable, heinous, and I would say to you, demonic ways even thought about. This was the most bloody day in Israel history in modern days. But try to put it in context uh, by population. This would be the same as the amount of deaths that we experience at 9-11 times 10. If that happened in our country, there would be a heightened sense. This is what's happening in there, uh, the number of folks that were killed on that day. So number one, I think just be reminded this, I think this is not just a skirmish, but I think we are moving to all-out war in terms of terror in ways that we've not seen in, in modern day. Second thing I think that will happen is I think as this escalates, um, we need to continue to be men and women in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ on both sides of this conflict. Two percent of Palestinians are evangelical believers. Can you imagine for them? They can't flee to Israel. They're enemies. Hamas has now blocked the ways they can't escape out. They can't be known as Christians or they'll be persecuted and killed under this Islamic terror that's there. So our brothers and sisters who are in the Gaza Strip at this time, our hearts need to continue to pray for just their peace and strength and safety for these things. That doesn't just include there. I met a man last hour who was born in Iran. As we're talking about this, he came and said, boy, you've got to pray for our, he's a believer. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who are under these regimes, the same kind of deal. We need to be people and men and women who pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are Israelis who have experienced loss of, of people they've cared deeply for their life. My point is this, just as that we need to be reminded this is just bigger than countries and names and walls and things. As a family of God, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are on the front ends experiencing some of the horrific things of war and, and of genocide and things that are happening there. So let's be men and women in prayer for them in all of the occasions that's there. I also know, I think, and this is more my, step out, more my opinion, I think we're gonna see an increased push and I think the tide of world opinion turning away from Israel in the days to come as they've moved from victims to now responders, right? I, I think some of the images that we did not see from the Hamas attacks will now be images that will flood our social media in the days to come. And all of this is gonna be an effort to turn the heart of the world against Israel. How do I know this to be true? Because this is exactly what Scripture says is going to happen. So as you see and see these things, just be reminded, 
We're living in days. Scripture says it's all these things are going to happen as we move closer towards the end times. Think about the end times. Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38 tells us to pay attention as the time draws nearer to the lands of Gog and Magog. Today, Gog and Magog, that, that was a geographical place in a, an empire that was there. It's kind of like today if we said, hey, pay attention to Canada and Mexico. And 4,000 years later, it's not Canada and Mexico, but it's those same kind of regions. So Gog and Magog, let me just show you a map what those are including. In modern day, this is going to include key players of Iran, Turkey, and Russia. All right? When I wrote this early in the week, it didn't seem quite as obvious as we are by the end of the week. It doesn't take much to begin to tie these, these three groups into the conflict that we're experiencing now. You simply have got to follow the money, the funding, the training. Iranian leaders heralded these attacks on October 7th as glorious things that they go. We also know at the end of the story, at the Battle of Armageddon, it's going to include Gog and Magog, these countries that are here, but the Bible also says it's going to empires of the east and empires of the south at the very end of days will surround Jerusalem. Modern day, in our current context, that would be regions of China and Egypt will all play a role. So let me just take you a little bit to the end of the story. And Zechariah chapter 14 is going to give us a picture of the end of days. Zechariah 14 says this, Behold, the day is coming for the Lord. When the spoils taken from him will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken and the houses plundered and the women raped. Half of the city should go out into exile. But the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Here's the picture at the end of time, Battle of Armageddon and these things. The nations of the world have rallied against Israel. Surrounded on all sides, outnumbered by astronomical numbers. Hope seems to be lost. Satan appears in this moment to have finally won because he's about to capture the land, which will destroy the lineage and not allow the Lord to come. The Abrahamic covenant will not be fulfilled, and the descendants of Sarah are about to be destroyed. And in the destruction of that lineage, and the destruction prevents the returning of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ will not return for his people and for his world to save the world. Sacrifices will not be made in the holy city because they are now a pagan city. Jesus cannot return as the conquering king. Israel is defeated. The war is over. All seems lost. That's the moment. Zechariah 14 Verse 2. But the beauty is the story is not finished. And after verse 2 comes verse 3, and it says this Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. When all seems lost, you have this but God moment. When Israel is surrounded, defeat seems on the gates, everything seems lost, there is that moment, then the Lord will go out and fight for his city. And in that moment, the skies will split, and we as the raptured church will join Jesus as the returning, conquering king. And in that moment, Jesus will not only fight for Jerusalem, he will fight for every inch 
of a creation of the world that he has created. And in that moment, amen, in that moment, he will not destroy and cast down every dictator, but every demon. In that moment, he is returning wise, Zachariah says, to fight for his people. In verse 4, and on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. In the Mount of Olives, all right? The place where he descended, transcended, is now the place he shall return into his holy city. And it goes on to say, in that moment, the Mount of Olives shall be split from two, from the east to the west by every side of the valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. When Jesus returns, in the moments when the trumpets sound and the clouds part, the boom happens, it's split, and Jesus stands on the Mount of Olives at this moment. Listen, when he returns, he returns to do what? To reclaim his land, to rescue his lineage, and to proclaim himself as Lord. On that moment when Jesus returns, he will fulfill the Abrahamic covenant that was given to us back in Genesis chapter 12, once and for all. He says it is finished, and Ezekiel says it this way in verse 37. And I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land, and I will multiply them, and set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. The wonderful thing is, listen, at the end of the day, Israel wins. When at the end of the day, good overcomes evil. So when fear, right, and anxiety begin to grip your heart, when you have this sense that all is lost and there is no hope, when evil appears to be winning, when the world seems to be imploding upon itself, Luke says, can I remind you a little bit of truth? That's what the Apostle Luke says in verse 21, chapter 21. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. When the world seems so dark, he says, just straighten up. Stand up straight, look to the eyes. Why? Because redemption comes from the Lord and redemption is near. When all hope is lost, just look to the skies, for there was your hope. When you seem defeated and overwhelmed, reminded deliverance comes when these skies will part and Jesus returns, just stiffen your back a little bit more and have some confidence and look to the Lord. That the church will be raptured like a thief in the night. And this broken world will at one moment be redeemed. And good in these, at that moment will overcome evil. The covenant will be fulfilled. The Lord will sit on the throne in his chosen city. His lineage will bow and worship at his feet. And the whole world will bow and say, that Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. It's a promise of land, lineage, and Lord. And everything Satan does to thwart or try to defeat one of those three things at one moment will come to a glorious end. And Jesus will say, I am the fulfillment of all of these things. So don't lose hope. Look to the skies for your redemption is near. Let's pray together. Today, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
God of angels' armies, the Lion of Judah, Lord, we pray for your peace. Defender of the weak, we pray that you would supernaturally guard and protect the innocent on both sides, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in the weeks to come, that, God, that you would be near to them in a very real way. But, God, today we rest in the fact that you are a covenant-keeping, miracle-working God. So we pray once again the words of Ezekiel 37 and remind our hearts that you say, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Father, we pray that prayer and agree with our brothers and sisters around the world. And God, we look forward to that day when you establish and fulfill this covenant. And the world will know that you are Lord. So God, we trust you. We submit to your sovereign plan. Ask that you'll find us in our time to be faithful, prayerful, and compassionate to the world around us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.